hey, Jim, look around the room right now. Everyone is here because of you. The moment I heard those words, it changed everything for me. And yet it changed nothing because I truly am what I always felt I was. I'm the connector. That clarity is what brings me to you and what drives this show, the Remote Start Podcast. Here, I connect my lifelong passion for bringing people together with my love of business and branding in hopes that these talks might better connect your community with what your company is all about. So let's figure out your brand. Let's figure out the target audience you want to serve and how we can use these two things to create an incredibly strong community for your business. I'm your host, Jim Doyon. Let's get something started. Remote Start Nation. On today's episode, we are going to be discussing the fundamentals of starting a business with one CEO who has launched several companies on several different continents. We're going to be discussing marketing strategies and how this CEO, his app helps financial advisors, registered investment advisors, as well as insurance agents market their brands today. Remote Start Nation, I'd like to welcome Jonathan Michael, CEO of Wealth.io, who's on a mission of democratizing financial intelligence by helping financial advisors scale their marketing with efficiency. Jonathan, welcome to the Remote Start Nation. Jim, thank you so much for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you today. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, you know, you've got, I did a little research. You've got quite the entrepreneurial journey you've been on. Uh, I'd love to hear more about it. How'd you start your first business? Well, honestly, I think my entrepreneurial journey started in grade five when I rebelled against teachers and just wouldn't, you know, do my homework on time and not try, you know, not draw the lines in the right places. I think I was even talking to my mom, I was talking to my mom earlier today and she was telling me about how I, you know, even growing up in school, just wouldn't do things according to the norm. And I think that kind of translated into my career unintentionally was not intentional. Like I had no clear plan that when I'm 21 or 22, I'm going to start my first company or something like that. I think it was just a combination of a desire to have creative control and to build something out of nothing, the kick and the joy that comes out of building something from scratch. Um, and, you know, being able to, you know, envision whatever you want and build it, right? Uh, I think that's what really, you know, kicked off my desire to start my first company um, we started with $200 in capital. This was back in India. So I'd gone to New Zealand for some okay. school and then came back to India. Um, and, you know, thought I was going to get into the nonprofit world and, you know, you know, serve people there. But then my entrepreneurial drive was so strong. All the ideas that I had, uh, for bringing about societal change somehow were, you know, revolved around entrepreneurship. And so I was going to start a t-shirt brand, a uh, premium t-shirt brand, uh, you know, with uh, this luxury cotton material called Supima. And I was going to launch that t-shirt brand when I bumped into a family friend who wanted to, you know, launch a design school, but needed someone to launch it with. So she had all the training and all the know-how and, you know, she thought that I could, you know, come on and help with sales and marketing and building an actual brand. Funny thing is I yeah. had the brand for the t-shirt company already set. And because it was so much, it was less capital intensive with the design school, so much less capital intensive. Yeah. It just made sense for me as a 23 year old to, you know, just jump on the design school wagon and get into education, uh, building a, you know, an educational company, so to say. Um, so we started off 
with $200 in capital. That's all I had. She didn't have anything either. I just had a little bit of money that I had, you know, to, to, to start a business. And, you know, we, um, I remember launching my first Google AdWord campaign and that's how we got our first few leads. And, um, I remember getting our first customer and I thought that was so incredibly funny. Um, I don't know why I still remember that vividly. We were in a little conference room. We had rented a co-working space. Okay. We rented a co-working space. And uh, I remember being in the glass room there with that student and my co-founder. And I got the first check from her. And it was for $300. (laughs) So I thought that was hilarious because it was $100 more capital. And, you know, and then we, you know, that's how we bootstrapped the company essentially. So that's how that's how the journey began. This was in 2014, I believe. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. And so that right there was your first real taste of of running a business, starting a business. What were some of the challenges there that you had to overcome? Wow. Um, learning how to sell really well. I think for a first time entrepreneur, you kind of have an idea of how you need to sell. But then I think learning how to communicate that marketing message clearly to to my audience and finding the right distribution channels, that was kind of difficult initially because I thought I'll just scale using AdWords and then it turned out that AdWords was way too expensive. So yeah. I had to pivot into Facebook ads and I had no idea about how to use Facebook ads. I think Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk was kind of my yeah. first coach in a way. I used to watch a lot of Gary Vee videos. Like I used to binge watch Gary Vee videos because I had no idea about online marketing. Uh, and, you know, I was like 23, 24, just trying to figure out, you know, what what we're gonna, what was going to look like to get new customers and uh, navigating Facebook ads was a challenge initially. Um, but then learning how to launch lead generation campaigns and, you know, uh, generating all those leads and then calling them up, cold calling them up. Uh, it was... That was hard, but it was also fun. It was exciting. So uh, I del- and obviously, you know, as a first time entrepreneur, you're doing a little bit of everything. To answer your question briefly, it was hard on every level. It was, you know, cash flow management, marketing, sales. It was, uh, it was quite the journey. But but yeah, it was very thrilling. It was extremely thrilling. It was a very thrilling journey. Those first two years was incredibly thrilling. It was around year three that it started to get a little bit more difficult. What was it that made it difficult? That's a great question. Um, cash flow management, financial management, learning how to manage the cash flow of a small business is what I started to grapple with because you want to preserve as much cash as possible and you want to grow fast as well, but you don't want to grow too fast. I made some Bad decisions, I think, around year three, year four to move into a much bigger space, more than what we could handle. Because I was in the design business, right? Yeah. I was in the design school business. And I had a small office, a small, you know, training center, thousand square feet of space. I'm like, you know what? I need 3,000 square feet. I need to, you know, throw some Gucci around and show them that <laughs> I've arrived. I want to yeah. show people that I've arrived. As a 26, 27-year-old. You know, your your mind starts spinning and you get a little bit of success and you're like, you know what? I've kind of arrived. I need to, let's scale this thing. You know, let's scale this bad boy, so to say. And I think that's when a lack of financial wisdom started to, you know, uh, really, you know, hurt that business. Um, 
we also try to pivot into an ed tech model, try to make a lot of our training online. But if I could trace it all back, uh, I could trace it back to that one point is learning how to manage cash flow and preserving cash flow more than anything else. So, yeah. That's a that's great insight. And it's it's awesome that you can look back and understand that you made that mistake and and learn from it. It was a very hard lesson. It was extremely hard. But I think those five years running James School of Design and Business, that was my first company. It was like a, a, um, a bachelor's in marketing and an MBA, both in one, I would say. Yeah, it was very thrilling, as I mentioned. And yeah. we had a lot of success. We grew 101% year on year for the first three years. Uh, but, you know, um, those few financial decisions uh, really affected us. And also, I must add, Jim, that there was an angel investor who wanted to throw in money for about 30, 40% of the company around year three, year four. And I was arrogant, arrogant enough to not take that money because I thought that I could continue to scale the company without diluting any equity. Yeah. Turns out that turning into debt, turning to debt versus angel money and ready angel capital was a really bad decision. And not consulting, not having a group of advisors, not having consultants that I could, you know, get advice with through every stage of the business. I think that was another uh, big mistake that I made. And I, I would like really recommend any first-time founder, uh, you are way more likely to succeed if you have advisors around you. That's really good advice. How did, how did those lessons that you learned and even you know, on the pros and the cons, how did that lead into your second business and the business you're, you're running now? Well, it really taught me to be, what's the right word? I'm not getting the word right now, but to be um, prudent, more prudent okay. and conservative. Um, and, uh, and also it, it taught me patience and it taught me that, you know, good things come with time and it's okay to wait a little longer, uh, but cash is king. Yeah. I mean, it's old school. It's as, you know, today you have people who talk like the, you know, your success as an entrepreneur is determined by how much capital you can raise or how much money you're burning and whatnot. Um, and I think a lot of entrepreneurship is glamorized beyond the basics of business principles. And I think that hurts a lot of young people and it makes them have a very, fantasized view of entrepreneurship. And I think I went through that too in my 20s and came to understand that, wait a minute, you've got to keep a significant, you, you, you've got to have great cash flow. <laughs> uh, you've got to have high profitability. <laughs> you've got to learn how to invest that money well into your business. And so I think I really uh, um, you know, used a lot of those lessons in my new business, but also leadership lessons. Yeah, I think that you know, in your 20s, you think you understand what it means to be a great leader, but then you really don't. Um, maybe there are some leaders who are able to do that in their 20s and be able to build a, you know, big successful company and lead, lead people really well. But I think through my 20s, I can even like, you know, look back at some of the ways I led my staff, my employees, the kind of role model that I set for them, the kind of model that I set for them through my own leadership, through my own behavior. I feel like uh, I learned a lot about what it means to be a great leader, essentially. And I'm still learning how it, what it means to be a great leader, honestly. I, I feel like that's, I'm in, I'm, in an, I'm in a relentless pursuit 
of becoming an excellent leader and learning what it means to be a great leader for my team. Um, so, so yeah, I'm taking a lot of lessons from financial management, but also, you know, what it, what it means to be a great leader. How many people are on your team now? Uh, three. We're a three. small startup. Yeah. Awesome. Tell me a little bit more before we get too more uh, deeper into the, you know, the business side and marketing side. Tell me more about, about your business. Tell me about Wealth.io. Yeah. So we started about three years ago, um, right? I, again, this was something that I stumbled upon. I had no intentions of being a technology entrepreneur coming from a non-technical background. My father-in-law worked as a financial advisor for about 32 years. And he had a lot of experience in the industry and he was struggling to, not struggling essentially, but he was trying to navigate what it would look like to scale his company online. Yeah. And he was not able to make the necessary pivots that he needed to make in order to scale online because he was navigating this new world for himself. And we just got talking for fun. We, you know, we started talking about different ideas for fun. And, you know, he was, you know, talking to me about how, you know, he wants to reach 100 million American households. Like he wants to, you know, use his advisory business and probably even inspire the wider advisory community to meet this huge need that exists in America today for sound financial advice, for, you know, financial coaching, financial guidance. And so, you know, I started off, uh, you know, it was a fun project. We had no big, crazy, wild dreams to build a big company. We just, I just got involved for fun. And one thing led to another. And, you know, I built an MVP within the first few months uh, with a very small amount of money. Uh, and then we kept investing more money in it, had a really successful beta test with advisors here in America. And um, that's how we started to grow the company. Yeah. We've, we've been very conservative. That's incredible. Growing very slowly, intentionally, because, um, you know, you look at a lot of other companies today, you look at Figma, um, especially Figma and Amazon, all these companies that took several years to really hit that sweet spot. And I feel like, you know, that's the same concept that we've applied here is to really go slowly with actual users, try to understand those pain points they have on the ground, iterate the product and continue to build a meaningful product that they would actually love using. And uh, that's the approach we've applied to Wealth.io. And we've been through several brand iterations, brand transformations. We... Again, as I mentioned before, to start as a project, we were going to sell it to one company. That was the plan. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Because I had spent five years with my with JM School of Design and Business, and I was going to help my father-in-law with this project. We're going to build this marketing platform. It's going to have these two, three products. We're going to sell it to this enterprise company. Done. Over. Okay. Because yeah. that was like, that's all I was willing to do. Because that's what we had agreed on. But then, turns out that it didn't plan. You know, plans didn't go. You know, things don't go according to plan, right? When you're running a company. And I forgot that. <laughs> I forgot that, you know, things go, don't go according to plan. And before you know it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to be a technology entrepreneur. I need to run a full-fledged SaaS company. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, what do I do now? So, you know, a lot of education, a lot of training, um, me talking with my other friends who run technology companies. Whew, it's been quite the journey. And so, through after several pivots, several brand transformations, finally in a really good place now, the very clear marketing message, a very clear mission that we're proud of. That's really cool. What were some of the things that your father-in-law was having an issue with of trying to get in front of, 
you know, these, these people that you saw, you looked at and you said, okay, there's a need here. This is actually something that technology can help with. What were a few of those, those issues or, or, or difficulties he was facing? I would say it in one sentence, helping the average American today develop a clear financial vision for their lives. It's as simple as that because financial services is so siloed. It's so scattered. It's so confusing for the average American to navigate. U.S. household debt is on the rise. People are retiring later and later in life. And it was really trying to find a clear, simple, engaging marketing platform that added value to the average American and drew them into the conversation with the advisor, positioning the advisor as a guide and a coach yeah. as opposed to a salesperson. So it's bridging that gap. And, and letting them see that, hey, this financial advisor is on my side. There you go. Just helping them see that they have a guide for the rest of their financial lives, uh, who gets them, who understands them, but who can deliver value to them before, you know, begging them to come on appointments. I mean, how many, how many messages have you got from financial advisors on LinkedIn begging you for appointments or asking you for a 15-minute phone call? It's... So, but how do I deliver value to these people first? But you know, and and not just value right. through an ebook or you know email campaign. It's beyond that. It's about bringing people into an experience. Yeah, and so that's if I was to sum up, if we were to sell IIO, is that what you've developed? Is that platform that allows for that experience-driven marketing technology? Excellent. What are some of the the issue or the, you know, kind of the, the things you've had to overcome already in, in building Wealth.io. Oh my gosh. <laughs> God, leading technical teams. I mean, I've been through, I lead a team of three now, but I've been through maybe 30 people in the last three years, 20 to 30 people. These are outsourced teams. These are in-house employees. I literally have a chart that I look at every single day. And that chart, one of the points on the chart is recruit and verify team. Your team is everything. Your team is a reflection of the company you're going to build. And so I've been very maniacal about the way I go about team building. And so I think that was the most difficult part for me as a non-technical person trying to navigate a technical world is trying to figure out who is going to be that right team and do they see the vision of the company? And are they willing to work like a startup team? There's a difference between a startup team and there's a difference between a company team, like just like joining a, a big tech company, so to say, like a Facebook, yeah. like a Meta or an Instagram. Those are two different worlds. So it's about, I think that was a huge challenge for me is trying to figure out who the right team is and also determining you know, what, what's product market fit? What does product market fit look like? How do I build a product that actually fits with my market, with my intended audience? I think those are two uh, uh, huge uh, uh, really curves that I've had to, you know, conquer, so to say. With, with your team now, do you feel confident that, I know you, you already spoke on consistently challenging yourself to become a better leader. Do you feel like you have the right people in place that, you know, after going through 20, 30 different people in those seats that you're ready to scale? Yeah. Or take this to the next level? Yeah, I think, I mean, I have 
like have an amazing full stack developers name is Harsh and an amazing product designer too. And they are sold out to the mission. As an early stage startup, as a company, as a small business, you, you want to find people who are going to work on weekends and not complain to you about it. You know, it's just the way it is. They're working like, next to you, right? Like you're right next, there with them in the trenches. You're right there with them in the trenches, but they also see the value of coming along and doing it with you. And it's not just the monetary compensation. It's about the impact that they can bring um, into the marketplace. So the impact they can bring into the user's lives. And I think these few people that I have with me right now, I really sold out to that. And I think the first 10 employees that we hire over the next 12 months will probably share the same mission uh, and, you know, will be dedicated to that mission. But also I want to, you know, I, I'm glad you brought this up, Jim, because I also told my team, like, I'm like, guys, I, I had a, you know, a different discussion with them about this. And I said, guys, let's be clear. Okay. You only care about this company's mission so much. Okay. Come on. Okay. Yeah. We can talk about mission and vision and all that because Stephen Covey told us to do that. Okay. And uh, all these leadership experts, John Maxwell told us to do that. Okay, yeah. We, yeah. Okay, whatever. But you're 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 really sure for yourself. Okay, if you really look, if you really look deep within, you were sure working in this company not because you care about democratizing financial intelligence to, you know, a hundred million American households. You're only here because you want to grow your career. Okay. Now I know that you want to serve this vision and this mission. That's important. But if you don't become a better person. As a result of being in Wealth.io, then I failed at my job and I don't know what the heck we're doing here. Yes, we want to build right. a great company, but I want to have a legacy of having all the people around me also, you know, grow tremendously. And so your purpose here is that, is that you grow as well and that you become super hot in the marketplace. Like every company wants to hire you. That's my vision for you. That is my vision for you. If you get hired off, of Wealth.io for like 5x, 3x, 4x your pay, then I built a great company. That's it. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think if they can buy onto that and, and give you a certain amount of time and, and help, you know, everybody's working together towards, towards a common goal, but then also their own personal interest, I, I think that sounds like a win-win. Right. I want to make it about them as well. Like there's only so much you can say about mission and vision, you know? Some, at some point, it becomes like, how are you empowering their personal mission and their personal vision? Because they have things in their own heart. They have, you know, God has blessed them with potential too. They have their own innate potential. And as a founder, you are called to bring out the best in them, but you're called to bring out the best in them for the company, but also for them, both, both ways. And if you bring out the best for both, for both of them, I think they're most likely to stay on with you. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, right? Um, you know, you had mentioned it before to me, uh, before the episode about, you know, you think it's important to stick to the process of of building the company and and while you're at it, really finding a way to enjoy that process. You know, talk to me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I yeah, I get goosebumps, you know, when I you know, literally when I hear, how do you just say that? I, for some reason, just got some real goosebumps because that's been something very close to me. Is company process, is, is company building. We get so lost in the milestones that we don't realize that the milestones just last for a moment. 
and we get so caught up with goals. I think goal setting today has become so toxic. Every, I mean, you know, you look at social media today, Instagram, TikTok, especially Gen Z, millennials, millennials, but also Gen Z. Entrepreneurship is so glorified. You think that this is something that you put some coins in and then you get 10 coins back out, right? But it's not. Like right. if you don't want to make a lot of money, then start a startup. I mean, sorry, if you want to make a lot of money, money, then don't start a startup. Don't. Right. Seriously, it's really hard. Like your first few years, it's going to be difficult. And if you don't enjoy the daily process of the boring and mundane of the product development, but talking to customers, but selling, but getting rejected every day, then you're not going to build something meaningful long-term because you're just, you're just in here for the short-term you know, grab. And I think the way I, look at it, the way I look at it is a little bit more macro. I try to see company building processes as really um, a leadership journey for my own personal growth. I try to think of it as, yes, I want to enjoy this process. I want to enjoy... What I'm, what I'm called to do. I'm, I want to enjoy my job as a startup CEO every day, even though it can be incredibly hard. I want to enjoy this mundane things because I know that in the mundane, I'm going to build up leadership muscle that's really going to equip me to really scale and to do other things in the future, right? So I try to see this from a more macro level um, and I, I embrace the suck, like how, you know, David Hoggins, uh, right? Uh, yeah. uh, I think I got the name right. David Hoggins. Yeah. Uh, but he wrote this great book. It's Goggins. 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 Sorry, not Hoggins. Yeah. Goggins. Yeah. yeah. Embrace yeah. the suck, right? Uh, but also joyfully embrace the suck. I would add another word there. Add the joyful bit, you know, joyfully embrace the suck because this process is, is what's going to last the longest. There's one page that I read from the Tools of Titans every single day. I've read it for the last four years by Tim Ferriss, right? Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. And it talks about how your, your, your process is what lasts the longest and it's important to enjoy and embrace that process because the milestones only last for a short bit. So if you don't enjoy the process, you know, you, if the, you reach the first and second milestone, you're going to feel happy and you're going to, you know, you know, I don't know what, well, you know, slack off. But yeah. you Enjoy the process, the daily company building process of the mundane, of the boring, uh, and find joy in it and find purpose in it, then I think you'll build something great long term. That's awesome. Let's stick on you for a second. I know as, as entrepreneurs, as, as leaders and founders, uh, personal health is, is such an important thing. And something, you know, I know for me, I, I try to stick to a routine. Um, you know, sometimes it's, that's easier and, and other times it's a lot harder than, than it is said. But uh, do you have a daily routine that, that you stick to that is, has been your foundational block of, you know, growth? Yeah. Um, again, question. Um, yes. To answer your question briefly, yes. Uh, but a year ago, but 12 to 18 months ago, I did a keynote speech, uh, keynote talk for a company exactly on this topic. But I try to simplify it more and keep it adaptable for anyone because I think routines as well can be over glorified and people can get easily intimidated or overwhelmed when you tell them you wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning. 
Um, what I've done is I've tried to keep it really simple. If you may have read uh, James Clear, um, the, the book by James Clear, what's that famous habit book? Uh, I can't get the name right now, but James Clear, essentially that's the author's name. But he wrote a book, book about compounding personal development, compounding your personal growth, right? And I've applied the same principle to my life by just focusing on three things every day. My spiritual life is extremely important to me. So I want to make sure I'm in line spiritually with my values and principles. The prayer is important for me. Prayer, my physical life, and my intellectual life. I just try to keep it simple to these three things every day. Yeah. My goal is to get better. I'm, I'm here for the long term. Okay, I want to get 1% better every day. Because if I can get 1% better every day, then by the end of 2024, I've got 365% better. Right? So my daily routine is to get better. And yes, of course, I, I believe in waking up early. I'm an early riser. I love waking up early. It's so important for me. But I always, at the end of the day, my question is, did I work out today? Did I enjoy my physical health? Did I try to push myself physically? Did I learn something new? And do I feel spiritually connected? Because if I, if I hit a home run on these three simple things, I call it the single decision, the single decision framework. I make a single decision to get better. And, and my decision to get better is embedded with these three things. These three things are crucial for that, for me to get better. If I can focus on these three things, then my day will produce all the outcomes that it needs to produce. It will produce the right emotions. It will help me do the tasks that need to get completed. And I'll be primed for the day, essentially. So that's how I try to think of my daily routine through those three simple principles of your spiritual life, intellectual life, and your physical life. It's really simple. It's not like, it's not, you know, revolutionary, like people have done this before, but I've kind of simplified it as much as possible. I, I'm with you on the waking up early. I used to be a, a night owl and try to stay up all night and I'd sleep in. And uh, when I was, before moving to uh, Salt Lake in August, we were on the road for two years traveling in an RV. And I found that the only time that I could really get work done and, and be effective was when I got up early. And I, I switched from staying up late to you know, getting up at four, four thirty every single day. And I've, I've still continued to do that since we've been here. And it's such a change. It is a oh my complete, God. my days are so much better than they used to be as far as, you know, getting things accomplished and, you know, spending more time with that work-life balance, because now it's like, I don't need to work while my kids are at home or whatever else. Like I, I've got my stuff done for the day. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. One thing yeah, I wanted I to hit on. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, I completely agree. Like waking up at 4 a.m. has been life changing. It's I like I'm more happier. I'm just more happier as a result. There's something about the quiet in the morning. I never was a morning person. I had to hire a coach to help mm. me become a morning person. It was a huge change for me. This was like yeah. two, five years ago. Hired a coach and I'm like, your job is to make me wake up well, make up, wake up in the morning. He was a leadership coach. Uh, with like a Yale degree and whatnot. And he was like, what? That's, that's, that's all I need to do? I'm like, yep, that's all you need to do. <laughs> wake up at 5 a.m. and change my life. Yeah. Do you, do you find yourself, I know the, the biggest thing with me is it's so hard to stay up late now. Like I'm like 9, 9.30, yep. I'm, I am yep. exhausted. Yep, my wife and I decided that we are going to 
look at what average people do and do the exact opposite. So we're going to try to not watch it, not, not watch anything before going to sleep. And we, we're going to start to read something now. Mm. So try to do that off late. Because <laughs> sometimes you want to just, you know, you, you want to, you know, wind down watching something fun. But, you know, like, nah, nah, not going to play. <laughs> Let's, uh, have you had any mentors in your business? Is there anyone that you've surrounded yourself with that, you know, you could speak on and, and what has that done for your business? I, I, I am in the pursuit of that, honestly. I don't have mentors, but I would love, 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 love to have mentors who can really pour into my life. I am intentionally pursuing that, honestly, even since last week, um, you know, I've been trying to reach out to certain people in my life to help me with my spiritual growth um, and also my, you know, physical growth, so to say. But, um, but really, you know, on a business level, there are a board of advisors that we have uh, reached out to, uh, that we have, um, that we're in the process of, you know, um, appointing to the board. Um, so, you know, I don't have mentors who have been a huge part of my life, my best friends. Uh, they function like mentors to me, honestly. Yeah. I have two amazing friends. Uh, one is still in India and the other one is in Singapore. But they mean the world to me and they honestly have, you know, really helped mentor me in several um, areas of my life. Um, right now, I do have a few digital mentors. Um, <laughs> uh, the All In Podcast, you may have heard of it. It's like this amazing podcast that is breaking the internet in Silicon Valley, especially. But uh, I look up to those four guys. Yeah, they have built something significant with their lives and, you know, they digitally mentor me through YouTube. Um, That's yeah. cool. No, it's good to have, it's it's good to have, you know, either people or, you know, maybe it's an author, maybe like you said, it's a, it's a podcast or a vlog or something that you can look up to and, and, and get advice from. I feel like as entrepreneurs, a lot of time we feel like we're on this island. And I think it's it's yeah. so good to be able to to find you know someone that that you can go out and and rely on. How did you? That kind of brings me to my uh, my next question. You know, you talked about uh, forming a board of advisors. Did you reach out one on one and yeah. say, "Hey, I really feel like this could be a good fit"? Like, what kind of advice could you give the Remote Start Nation on that? Yeah, look for domain experts in my industry. But I also looked at a few individuals um, who are part of our company building journey and who may not be like the typical hot pick or, an, or for an advisory board seat, but they, they genuinely love what you built and they genuinely want to support you. So it's one thing to bring on domain experts, but people, but also try to look for advisors have your best in mind, who have no agenda, who are just here to help you because they love what you built, they love you, and they care for you. So, um, but also, you know, yeah, get domain experts. So we reached out to a few domain experts in our industry, um, you know, who have an, an existing network of potential customers for us, uh, but also people who can help, uh, you know, in our product development journey um, as a technology yeah. company. So that's kind of how we went about the process. Uh, we try to be strategic about it. Uh, we've not officially appointed them to the board yet, but you know, I think the next few months we'll have them appointed. That's awesome. Let's talk about with your app, Wealth.io, and more general, just marketing. What are 
what are financial advisors, what are some of the things that they need to do to get out there and get in front of their audience? Position yourself as a guide. Position yourself as someone who can bring incredible value to you immediately. And to do that creatively through a mobile through a mobile first experience driven medium. So one of the things that one of the products that we offer is really we give advisors their own marketing app. It was an app, a super app. It has financial wellness tools built into it. It has amazing content that's going to educate your prospects for free. It's your app. It brands you. So I think advisors and wealth management professionals, asset managers, insurance agents, I think their job in the next five, 10 years is evolving into thought leadership, intense thought leadership, and becoming great educators. Because AI and machine learning and a lot of technologies today are going to do a lot of the heavy lifting that was typically done, you know, through social media or whatever, right? Advisors need to focus more on content creation, original content creation, and let technology facilitate that. And I think that's what we aim to do as with Wealth.io. We want to empower the next 5,000 registered investment advisors and insurance agents to reach 10 million people in the next five years, 10 million households through our app. So, yeah. That's that's really good advice. And and being that thought leader, I think that starts, and I just talked about this on a previous episode, but you have to have that foundation. You have to have, you know, what it is that sets you apart, right? Like who, how is someone going to connect with you? Like if everything's, if AI is out there and can give information and everything else, like what is it about your own personal brand or about your agency that sets you apart? Right. Because right now you can, through ChatGPT4, you can essentially ask it a question about, you know, your financial life or whatever, whatever, you know, tips or questions you have and have it answer, you know, respond back, spit out this amazing, well-constructed text. So, so yeah, I think what's going to make you different, right? What's going to make the advisor different is that they have a unique mosaic. They have a unique mosaic of all these different sources of information and they are able to construct it in a way that's going to be emotionally binding not emotionally binding, that's a wrong word, but it's going to connect with the end uh, customer, their end clients emotionally, that somehow that education and that knowledge and all those different data sources are going to be conveyed through an actual human, but with emotion and empathy. And something that, you know, there has to be a commonality there too. Like, I know for me, I want a financial advisor that is into the things that I'm into and can help me right. like, you know, let's talk about mentorship. Maybe it's somebody that has the things that I want in life. And I know that they're giving me the best advice so I can get there because they've done that themselves. And so that's, you know, I think it comes down to finding yourself, developing your own personal brand of, of who you are. And like you said, then really getting that information, bringing it together in a way that makes sense to best serve. So yeah, I, I really like that. I think that's a good a good move. Yeah, I think revealing your authentic self. I know we use the word authentic a lot these days, but it is really truly being authentic online with original content, like you said, 
And letting people know who you are, being able to do that clearly and letting technology facilitate that discussion, like letting technology do a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of monotonous work that you should not be doing. Like you should not be out in, you know, you should not be looking at boring email campaigns. You should not be trying to figure out automations. You should not be trying to, you know, write a social media post. Like, you know, you should be able to, you know, uh, let technology do a lot of that heavy lifting for you. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point. Well, unfortunately, Jonathan, our, t- our time's coming to an end here. But before we go, where could people follow you on your journey? Where can they yeah. find you if they want to reach out and, and try to use Wealth.io as an app? Yeah, so you can go to wealthio.com and you can sign up there for a free trial if you like. Um, or you can follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Michael. Just search for Jonathan Michael on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So yeah, we can connect there and I'd love to follow you as well and hear about your journey. So yeah, please reach out to me there. Awesome. Is there one thing, one last question I want to ask and I ask this uh, with every guest I have. If there's one thing that you want to make sure that the entrepreneurs listening today take with them, what would that be? Love the person in front of you. Love your customers, your employees. Serve them and assist where needed. Show them that you're there to serve them as well. Then challenge them. Challenge them with a compelling vision. Challenge them with goals. And then talk to customers every week, every day if you can, and sell like crazy. Five things. Love, serve, challenge, talk to customers, sell like crazy. Awesome. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. It was an honor, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Jim. This is a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Awesome. Uh, And you're very welcome. Uh, Remote Star Nation, I hope you learned as much as I did today and can put some of what Jonathan shared with us to work for you from the bottom of my heart. I want to thank you all for joining us on this journey as we help you to start your business, grow your brand, and create your desired lifestyle. Remember, leave a comment, subscribe, and share this episode with your community who you think could learn from what you heard today. Until next time, go start something, start it today, and go build the lifestyle you desire by taking action. We've come to the end of another episode. I want to thank you for allowing me to share my passion of bringing people together through business and branding in hopes to connect you with your community. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Woodward Movement, the leader in brand identity, branded merchandise, and brand delivery. Check out our remotestartpodcast.com for more episodes and our social channels to join the conversation, access show notes, and discover our fantastic free resources to help you build a strong community for your business. I'm Jim Doyon. Thank you for connecting.